I'm Chad Roberts, and you're listening to Awakened to Grace. Today is part three. It is the conclusion of what was a great sermon out of Mark chapter 5. You know, we're in a larger series right now called Walking with Jesus. We literally are following Jesus through the pages of the book of Mark. And what an exhilarating journey. What an exciting thing to walk literally from town to town all throughout the shores of the Sea of Galilee and to see the mighty, mighty things that the Lord Jesus Christ did in his earthly ministry. You know, one thing that I appreciate so much about the book of Mark is that he gives us a front row seat to the miracles of Jesus. And today we're going to go inside the house. We're going to be at Jairus's house, the ruler of the synagogue. And you know, Jesus is going to take everyone with unbelief. He's going to put them outside the house. But he's going to take inside the room where this little girl was lying lifeless. He's going to take Peter, James, John, and her mom and dad. And you know, in a similar way, I believe God wants to take us inside the house where he does miracles. I don't want to be one of these people who are filled with unbelief. I don't want to be one of these people who say, well, God used to do this. God used to do that. No, my friends, I want to be, I want to have a front row seat to what Jesus wants to do today. I hope you enjoyed this conclusion, part three, as we are in the book of Mark, chapter five. Let's study God's word together on this episode of Awakened to Grace. Do you know what David cut? The hem of his garment. Saul's asleep. David cuts the hem. David sneaks off to a tall hill and he wakes Saul up and he shows him the hem of his garment. And he says, the Lord gave you into my hand and I could have killed you, but you are the Lord's anointed. And the Lord smote David's heart. The Lord convicted David of just cutting the corner of his robe. Do you know why? Because what David did, he interfered with Saul's lineage. The lineage was sown into the hem. And that's why Saul, when he realized it, yells to David, Swear to me, you will not cut off my offspring when I'm dead. Because David cut the hem. Very significant. So the woman says to herself, if I could just touch the fringe, if I could just touch the robe, I know I would be made well. And so here is another crowd, just like the problem with the paralytic man in chapter 2. Here's another throng of people. And what does she do? She presses her way toward the master. She touches him. And what does the Bible say? Fascinating. The Bible says immediately, there's our word, ethos in the Greek. Immediately, Jesus perceives that power goes out from him. And Jesus looks around and says, who touched me? And the disciples, boy, aren't they always saying the wrong things? And the disciples go, 
How can you say who touched me? There's a throng of people. I mean, people are desperate. It's dangerous. They're crushing him. And he goes, how can you say who touched me? And Jesus said, no, someone touched me differently. And the Bible says he looked around. Now, why do you suppose it says he looked around? Do you think that Jesus really didn't know who touched him? Absolutely not. You know how I know Jesus knew who touched him? Because do you remember when he told Nathaniel to follow him? Remember what Jesus told him? You were sitting underneath a fig tree. And Nathaniel said that's when he knew he was the son of God. Now, there's way more to that than meets the eye. I can't wait to get to heaven and say, Nathaniel, tell me what happened underneath that fig tree. Because you know what I think was going on? I think Nathaniel was having a moment with God that he was laying down his life. He was surrendering his life. He was saying, God, will you use me? God, I yield myself. I give myself to you. I think he had a moment with God that Jesus said, I heard every word you said, and here's what you told God. Something major was going on. And Nathaniel said, you're the son of God. Nobody else would have known that. So you don't think Jesus didn't know who touched him? Oh, he well knew who touched him. But you know what he did? He gave this woman an opportunity. And look what the... Oh, thank God. Hallelujah. The Bible says this woman came to the Lord with fear and trembling. And she knelt before him. And, and listen to the language. And she told Jesus the whole truth. Huh. Let me tell you, precious friend, today... You can tell Jesus all about it. You can tell him everything about your life. You can tell him all of your worst sins. You can tell him all of your horrible mistakes. You can tell him all about your regrets. You can tell him all about your past. You can tell him all about your fear. You can tell him everything that troubles you, every anxiety that you face, every fear you have. Let me tell you, you can tell Jesus all of it. Amen. And why didn't Jesus go, oh, it was you? Because Jesus forever set an example that you can come to Jesus and you can tell him the whole truth of the matter. Amen. Isn't that precious? And then Jesus tells this woman, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go and be healed. And the Bible says immediately that blood issue, that discharge of blood, that plague, that disease of her blood, immediately it dried up and she was made whole. Amen. Now the story doesn't end. In verse number 35, in verse number 35, the servants come to Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, and they give him the worst possible news. Than anybody could ever hear. His daughter had died. I can't imagine that. I just can't imagine. We've ministered to many people who've lost children. And it doesn't matter if it's an infant, an adolescent, a young adult, or a grown adult. When someone loses a child, it's the worst pain. And I can't imagine how Jairus felt. And... Again, listen, this is an eternal example. The servants tell Jairus, don't trouble the teacher any longer. Why do you think Scripture says that? Let me tell you why. It's to teach us, church, you never trouble Jesus with your problems. Never. You never 
annoy Jesus by going to him. Let me tell you, the devil would tell you, run away. No, you run to the Lord. You don't run away from him. Amen. And in verse 37, Jesus tells him something quite remarkable. I can't imagine the emotion that Jairus felt. I can't imagine how his heart broke. He put his reputation on the line. He put his good name on the line. He put his high position in society on the line to go to the master to find help for his daughter. And I can't imagine how his heart broke when he heard the words, It's too late. Your daughter has died. She was only 12 years old. And you know what Jesus says in verse 37? He said something so contrary to our nature. Jesus looks at Jairus and says, Do not fear. Only believe. The tense in the original Greek of the word believe is literally keep on believing. Don't lose your faith. Friends, let me tell you, faith is the currency of heaven. Are you rich today toward God? Or are you poor toward God? Is your faith great or is your faith small? And he looks at Jairus and he says, only believe. Don't, don't be afraid. Only believe. Can you imagine telling a parent who lost a child? Don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. Stunning words. Verse 40, they make it to Jairus' house. And already the professional mourners are there. That was part of Jewish culture. And this day, they literally had professional mourners who would come and comfort, comfort the family. And the mourners had already showed up. These were people that death was their job. Death was their occupation. And Jesus arrives on the scene. And you know what Jesus tells them? The little girl, she's just asleep. You know what unbelief does? Unbelief mocks God. Unbelief laughs at God. And you know what all these people did that day? Look at it, verse 40. They laughed at Jesus Christ. Oh, You know, sometimes when I think about the sufferings of Jesus, when I think about the agony of Jesus, I think about the Garden of Gethsemane and the great swat, uh, drops of blood. I think about the stripes, the lashes that had bone and it had sharp rock in the lashes. And as the lashes went across his back and wrapped around his rib cage and they would jerk it back, it would tear chunks of flesh out. I think about the crown of thorns that they took a rod and they beat the crown of thorns into his skull. I think about the nails that they drove into his hands and his feet. I think about the spear into it. Oh, all the sufferings of Jesus. But do you know what I often don't think about? The suffering of his earthly ministry. Then what was it for Jesus to have his very creation laugh at him? The very ones that he created, the very ones that he knit together in the mother's womb, the very ones that he created their destiny, the very ones that he spoke into existence to have his creation mock and laugh at his face. And they laughed at Jesus. They laughed at him. And you know what Jesus did? Verse 40, he put them all out of the house. 
Took them all outside. You know why he did that? He was getting unbelief out of the room. Unbelief out. Next week, in chapter 6, we're going to see that when Jesus was back in his hometown, he could not do mighty works. And you know why he could not do them? Not because of any demon. Demons were no problems for Jesus. They were no issue whatsoever for the Son of God. He had no problem out of any demon. He just cast them out. But do you know what shut down the work of Jesus? Unbelief. Read it. It's in chapter 6. We'll be there next week. Unbelief. And he got unbelief out of the house. And then he does something remarkable in verse 41. And I think this is a word for our church. I think this is what God is doing in our body. We had Brother Ehab here from the Middle East um, a couple of years ago. And he spoke this word to our church. And I believe it, that God is right now doing this in our midst. In the inner room where this little girl was lying, lifeless, dead, her spirit detached, she had died. Jesus does the most remarkable thing. He takes Peter, James, and John. That was his inner circle. He don't let everybody go in. He takes Peter, James, and John. And I love this. He takes mom and dad. I picture Jairus, oh, that dear brother. Boy, I can't wait to meet him in heaven one day. And I picture him sobbing uncontrollably. I picture him trying with all of his might to believe because the master told him to believe. But I picture his heart breaking into a million pieces. And I picture holding his wife and I picture them in the corner of the room and I picture him telling her, I don't know what he's going to do, but he's going to do something. Believe. And I picture him just sobbing. And no one else was allowed in the room. Friends, let me tell you, God is about to take our church into the inner room. God is about to take us into another realm. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit told me yesterday morning, Chad, I'm about to step your church into another realm. And I said, God, what realm are you talking about? And the Holy Spirit forcefully, with one word, said miracles. That's the realm. And it only comes through prayer and fasting. And God's about to take us into the inner realm. And not everybody's going to be able to go. Some of you have unbelief in your life. Some of you have unbelief in your heart. And I don't really know why you're here. I don't know if you just like the coffee. I don't know if you just like the entertainment. I don't know if you just like how it makes you feel. But I'm telling you, God is calling us to get unbelief out of our life. Why? So that God can move in ways that we have never seen God move. And God is about to take our church into the inner room. And we, like mom and dad, we're going to have a front row seat to the miraculous. Amen. And we're going to see salvations. And we're going to see healings. And we're going to see deliverances. And we're going to see miracles to the glory of God. Amen. Amen. But unbelief has got to go. Unbelief has to go outside the house. And here they are in the room. Peter, James, John, mom and dad. 
And Jesus takes the hand of this little girl, this lifeless hand, this dead, lifeless hand. And you know what Jesus says? Talitha kumi. Now remember, Mark is writing his gospel to the Romans. The Romans did not know Jewish culture, and neither did they know Aramaic. So John, John Mark, he helps us here. He tells us the Aramaic. He tells us the translation. What did Jesus say? Talitha kumi. Little girl, arise. And the Bible says she got up and began to walk. Unbelievable. Friends, let me tell you, Jesus is sovereign over every danger and calamity. He's sovereign over every demon on this earth. And he's sovereign over every disease within our body. And he is sovereign over death itself. Amen. Christ is sovereign. So what's the point? Well, can I have a couple more moments to teach? Now let's make a link right now. How many years did the woman suffer with the blood issue? Twelve. How old was the little girl? Twelve. Now something's going on here. The Holy Spirit's telling us something. There's a link here. Seven is often the number of the church. Seven lampstands. Seven letters to seven churches in Revelation. Seven angels. Seven spirits of God. It's, it's all, it's, seven is often the number of the New Testament Gentile church. But 12 is the number of the kingdom. So throughout Israel's history, from the very beginning, with the 12 sons of Jacob, which became the 12 tribes of Israel, all the way to the New Jerusalem of the future, the number 12 is prevalent. You have the 12 tribes of Israel. You have the 12 apostles. You have 12 parables of the kingdom. You have 12 gates to the New Jerusalem. You have 12 foundations. I mean, just on and on and on. You have 12,000 redeemed out of the 12 tribes of Israel, right? In Revelation. 12 all through there. Something's happening here. Now, scholars, some scholars believe, and this is speculation, so don't take this too far, but... I think it's interesting. Some scholars believe that this woman with the blood issue was a Gentile. The reason that they believe she was a Gentile is because she pressed her way through the crowd. A Jew probably would not have done that. She was unclean and probably would not. So scholars think she would have been a Gentile. If that is the case, what's the Lord saying? Here the Lord is on his way to raise Jairus' daughter. He's on his way to rescue this 12-year-old daughter. But there's a parenthesis. There's an interruption. If it is true that she was a Gentile, which again is speculation, but this is very interesting. If that is true, then what could the Holy Spirit be saying to us? Who did Jesus come from? Or, or, or I'm sorry, who did Jesus come to? He came to his own, and his own received him not. To the Jew. But to as many as did believe, that's us, the Gentile, to them gave he the right to become what? Sons and daughters of God. Could it be that this woman 
represents us, the Gentile church? Could it be that the parenthesis in God's plan of redemption is us who suffers a disease of sin that only the blood of Jesus can cure? Remember, she spent all she had on what? Physicians. But grew worse, none the better. It's interesting to me. As a matter of fact, I think it's comical. You realize that Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, was a medical doctor, right? Do you know what Luke says in his Gospel? He basically says it was an incurable disease. You know what he doesn't say? He doesn't throw physicians under the bus. John Mark didn't care. He threw the doctors underneath the bus. And I think that's kind of comical. I don't think there were any animosity between them. I just think it's funny. I have a friend who's an attorney and I always tell him, you know, 99% of you give the rest of you a bad name. <laughs> Just comical. No one could help her but the Lord. But what does he call it? He calls her a daughter. And then after he heals her, then he goes on to complete the mission. Now what's going to happen according to scriptures? Romans chapter 11 when the Gentile church is over, when the times of the Gentiles done, what, what did we learn that was, church? The, the, what, 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 what's my favorite Greek word? Harpazo. Two families in the church had me t-shirt made that said Harpazo. I got two t-shirts that says Harpazo. I love it. When the time of the Gentile church is over, Romans 11, what's going to happen? God's going to go back to his original plan. The, the eyes of the Jews are going to be opened. And they're going to see the Messiah for who he is. And then all of redemption is going to be complete. Amen. But where are we now? We're in that parenthesis. We're in that Gentile bride. That Boaz taking the Moabite, the Gentile Ruth as his kinsman, redeemer. Amen. What a story. What a gospel. Friends, these people became desperate for Jesus. And as I close today, I want to ask you, are you desperate for the Lord? Whether you're a believer or a non-believer, are you desperate for the Lord to touch you? Whether you've been walking with God for decades or only a handful of weeks or days, are you desperate for Jesus? The Lord wants to touch you. He wants to intervene. He wants to help you. Will you open your heart to him right now? Some of you suffer. Some of you, Satan's trying to torment. Why? Ask yourself this question. Why is Satan tormenting me? Do you know why? Because he's trying to prevent you from coming to Jesus. But let me tell you, the Lord loves you. He knows you. He knitted you together in your mother's womb. And the Lord wants to change your life today. No demon in hell can keep you from coming to Jesus. Open your heart to him today. 
There are many different ways you can connect to Awaken to Grace in a more personal way. First, visit our website, awakentograce.com. Second, you can subscribe to our podcast, Awakened to Grace with Chad Roberts. Third, you can download our free mobile app. Simply search Awakened to Grace wherever you get your favorite apps. And lastly, send me an email directly. It's simply Pastor Chad Roberts at gmail.com.